Broadcasting live from Global Headquarters and RP Enterprises in Greenwood, Missouri. Stand by on this frequency. After 22 years of entertaining FM radio listeners across the U.S., across the U.S., this man is the owner and executive producer of the award-winning Heartland Waterfowl on Sportsman's Channel, CEO and founder of Dumar Chemical Solutions, and the man behind the mic of Paparan Radio Voiceovers and Production. He's the man, the myth. The legend, a global icon, future Nobel Prize winner, and of course he paid me to say all this. Really? Literally. Welcome to the Papa Ron Podcast. Here's your host, Ronnie Phillips. Ronnie Phillips. Back for another edition of the Papa Ron Podcast, episode 27. Excited to have you on board and excited to have Jillian in studio. How was your Christmas? Everything good? It was great, yeah. Yeah, good. It was pretty good. It's a little chaotic with three kids, two under the age of two. You find out how selfish you really are. You know, like Christmas is no longer about you. Right. It's about them. For sure. And when they're that young, they're very demanding. (laughs) (laughs) Real excited about this particular episode. We've been wanting to have this person in studio uh, to have a wonderful conversation, and it finally worked out, and we almost didn't think it was going to work out with all the different things going on with the holidays and family activities, and we thought this might be our one shot. If we don't do it today, we may not get him. <laughs> Welcome to the Papa Ron Podcast, old-time friend Mark Alford. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Jillian. Uh, appreciate it. I'll I tell you what, if I'd had here. an intro like that for me on Fox 4, I probably never would have left. <laughs> I'm like, this is a second coming right here. Right? Hey, you know, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to, uh, you know, where we are trying to kind of make our way into this I little podcast it. space, you know, and, and do something special here. Got so I, a little hype. That's he, the future. Here's, here's what I'm a little bit uncomfortable with is, you know, back in the day when we were doing, what was the thing that we used to do on the 4th of July out by um, uh, Metcalf? Oh, it was Corporate ce- Woods. Like Corporate a, Woods, yeah. Oh, Jazz in the Woods. That's, no, 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 it was, it was, but it was, a, it was a celebration. Uh, it was the 4th of July, though. It was, it was like Jazz in the Woods, but it wasn't the Jazz. It was, they, they, anyway, the point is, is that I remember meeting Mark for the first time with Donnie Harmon yep. on stage. Yep. And back then, Mark was just a nobody TV guy. <laughs> Now I've got a helicopter on top of RP Enterprises and Secret Service going through oh all my, my, my underwear drawers and everything. And yeah. uh, by the way, how did you pass security clearance? For I, this? You know, it's pretty it's pretty tough. I'm yeah. not sure, considering all the guns that I have in this house. Capitol Police came in. Right. A little sweep of the safe in there. I figure know? I'm doing pretty good if you got a pres- uh, picture of President Trump yep. hanging yep. there. So. Absolutely. I don't know if that's really his autograph, but someone gave that to me and said it was. And so that was actually a gift from uh, Bill Althaus, if you know who yeah. he is from The Examiner. So that's my wife's uncle. Anyway, um, I know we have a limited amount of time with you, and so I wanted to dive into it. First of all, how was your Christmas? It was good. It, uh, I was telling you a little bit earlier, it's kind of surreal, this whole process, because I quit uh, Fox 4 uh, a year and a half ago in October of 21, Yeah, and it's been a whirlwind of activity since then. I mean, I, I've never, it's like I've been running a marathon, and then we win the general election. We go up there for orientation for three weeks. Uh, my daughter got married four days after the election. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, yeah, I've had no job. I've had to pay for a wedding 
and, and we're building a house. Mm. Oh my so, gosh! So uh, no stress in our lives. But my point, <laughs> my point is, is that um, I know Christmas was here. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of a blur. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we we love to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Sure, and we certainly did that. Yeah. But this whole time has been a blur. And in just a couple of days, we take the oath of office and mm-hmm. get to work for the people yeah. of the fourth district. So first day is January third, Tuesday. So Tuesday. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So so wow. We wow. fly up, uh, Leslie and I gosh. fly up if Southwest gets us act together. <laughs> no doubt. Oh, my God. That's a mess. Actually, we, we are booked on American, which is oh, good. Okay. Uh, but we fly up. Uh, we spend the night. We're getting a hotel there, and uh, a bunch of friends are coming up, uh, people who are friends of ours, supporters, yeah. Yeah. volunteers, about 50, 60 people coming up. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, we're going to have a little party that night, but it's... Uh, the next day, we get up, we have an open house, we get the keys to our office. They don't give you the keys to your office until swearing-in day. Wow. Uh, they don't want you moving anything in. I call it the drop-dead clause. If they, <laughs> if you, <laughs> right, if right. you uh, for some reason, drop dead in between now and inauguration, they don't want you occupying the office. So uh, we've spent the time setting up our district offices. Okay. Uh, that's where I just came from. A lot of details we can get into, but yeah. it's just been a whirlwind. I'm ready to get started. I feel like a racehorse at the Kentucky I'll Derby. Bet. I've been training and training and training. We're in the shoot. Yeah. I'm ready for the gate open. Let's get to work and let's get something done for America. Definitely. Yeah. Well, and you said, I feel like you're even like a little confused on time. You said a year and a half. October, like you're barely over a year, actually, of leave. I mean, really. October. Yeah, that's true. I, so I mean, a year so in, a lot in, in 14, 15 14 months. months. Yeah. That's huge. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when you were saying that, I was like, okay, I've never asked you if when you left Fox 4, was this your plan to run, run when for Congress? Yes, when I finally left Fox 4, it was my plan. But okay. two years ago, this was not my plan. I just had wow. uh, coffee this morning with uh, uh, our my former general manager. Uh, and I have not seen her since then, and we, I just wanted to catch up. She's now going to be the president of the Missouri Broadcasters Association. Oh, oh really? Cool. So she's going to be coming up into my office. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. At the Capitol. I know. I said, yeah. Tracy, I don't want this to be awkward because I'm used to coming to your office, yeah. getting in trouble. Yeah. Now yes. you're going to be coming into my office, oh and my I gosh. just wanted to have a good relationship. And so sure. it all went well. But, good. yeah, it, um, I did not. This was not on my radar, how this all happened. Um, And uh, towards the end, about a couple of weeks out, a month out, I knew I was going to do this. Uh, I didn't let anyone know, Mm -hmm. per se, because I I just didn't want to mix the two. Right. Uh, I wanted to be able to say goodbye to the audience that we had built Mm. over 23 years. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't want it to be awkward. They knew I was going to be doing something. Sure. But I, I kept those yeah. cards close to my vest. When you say something and something in politics, because you've always kind of had an entrepreneurial spirit. While you're on TV, you were dealing with real estate mm-hmm. and dabbling with a lot of other things. So when you say doing something, <laughs> did, did, they, did they specifically know it was going to be something within politics? No. Okay. I don't think anyone had any idea that I was going to run for Congress. Um, when, I sure didn't. And I mean, yeah. I, I was... I watched you, you know, once I left Q104, then I could watch morning right. TV and really listen. Like we would have it on in the studio or whatever. We could watch and not listen. So I could watch and even talking to you afterwards, you know, you never 
let on that's what you were going to do and that it was something and it, it was something I thought about like I wonder what he's going to do because he's already doing real estate mm-hmm. so is he going to like somehow take that up a notch like I really did think about like what what would he do I think do everyone thought I was just going to parlay my TV celebrity status into real estate I was already doing really well working for Reese Nichols yeah uh, I was making a lot more in real estate than I was in television sure. now I have to give up my license Oh, okay. Um, I have to, everything, any outside business you have to give up. You can't use your name for profit for anything. Hmm. Uh, you know, okay. I was doing custom clothing. I had a custom clothing That's landmark right. all for designs. Mm-hmm. And That's right. I've yeah. got to give that up, uh, which I really wasn't doing that much anymore, just for friends and family yeah. and myself. But um, yeah, that was it. I, I, I decided that, you know, God, I'm 59 years old. It's hard to say. I'll be 60 uh, next October. 59 years ago, God gave me, when, he, when I was born, a sure. lot of different talents that yeah. I've been developing over 35 years in the news media mm-hmm. and in communications. I mean, it started when I was in kindergarten, first grade. I would get up and do public speeches, and mm-hmm. I would write. Mm-hmm. And everything, I think, was prepared for this moment. But I did not know it really until things started to just crystallize all of a sudden. Mm. And Vicki Hartzer decided that she was going to run for Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, and this kind of opened this door. And I had never really thought about um, maybe an opportunity to use my talents for something other than being in television. I wanted mm. to be in television since I was in fifth grade. Hmm. Really? My uncle was an, an anchor man in Oklahoma City. He mm. was like the Phil Witter, Larry Moore of... Yeah. Um, or John Holt of, of Oklahoma City in the 80s, very popular. And I grew up having a lot of respect and admiration for him. He was one of my heroes, along with Johnny Carson and Walter Cronkite. Course, okay. right. Plus, you probably got the privilege of going into the station in the studio and seeing oh, yeah. everything behind the scenes, which just amplifies your interest. And I thought, wow, this is so cool. Because I was a ham at heart. I mean, I was in all the school plays and yeah. musicals and yeah. entertained. I was a cut up in class, as you might imagine. <laughs> so, Got that quick wit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, when this happened, I thought, you know, I think this is maybe what God has in store for us mm. to use these talents to do something. I've always wanted to serve my country, but I never signed up for any arm of the military. I never really, you know, I've, I've served on a lot of boards. Mm-hmm. I've raised a lot of money for charities here in Kansas city, but I've sure. never really done anything selfless with my career. Yeah. And this, believe me is, you know, I'm going to make a good salary there, but I'm having, I, we had to put everything on the line to do this. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, Luckily, my wife was working. She works for the Federal Reserve, and she's making a good living. But that helped get us through. I put aside some commissions that I had over the last year in television, uh, commissions from real estate. And mm-hmm. um, not knowing that I would use this to help live, I was just like saving it for retirement or investment. And we ended up using that money to basically live off so I could travel 70,000 miles oh, in a my gosh. Ford Expedition I got out front to go to all 24 counties. Right. A lot. Yeah. yeah. You did a lot because I know, I don't, I didn't even see everything you were doing on social media, but you were running you nonstop very there active. for a while. Yeah. You seemed very active. Let me ask this because I've always had an interest in politics. Um, but when it really comes down to being someone who is in that chair or in that office, there's a lot more that goes in than just, I mean, I, I, I will watch in the sit like my hometown or even here in Greenwood, 
I'll watch the city council meetings. And just the process of way they bring up a certain, uh, I don't know ordinance. what to say, ordinance or whatever, and then they got to vote on it mm. and just the whole structure of everything. Are you familiar with all of that? And no. have you been doing any training on that? Like, <laughs> are you nervous about <laughs> going in there? <laughs> I have no idea what I'm about to do. Oh, my gosh. That, that's what's so freaky about it. When we went, uh, so uh, my daughter's wedding was on the 8th, a Saturday. The 9th was Sunday. The 10th, we flew in uh, to Washington, D.C. and mm-hmm. started our orientation. Mm-hmm. At one o'clock after lunch, they took us out on the house floor. Oh my! And I walked out there and I started crying. I bet. I'm like, sixteen months ago, I was on the set of Fox Four, right? Yeah. And now I'm on the house floor, yeah. and there's where Ronald Reagan stood, and yeah. there's where Trump stood, and mm-hmm. up in the gallery, that's where uh, Rush Limbaugh yep. was, yeah. and here I am. Right. I'm going to be voting for seven hundred and fifty thousand people. Mm. Mm. And we're at a point in our country where we've got to see some change or, or we're at risk, I think, of losing our country. Mm. And this is an immense responsibility. But I have no idea what I'm doing. And that's okay. <laughs> and here's why. Yeah, okay. I'd love to hear yeah. this. Yeah. How many kids you got? Three. Three kids. So does she. Three kids. When you have your first baby, mm-hmm. you can read all the books in the world. That's true. Yep. But until you... You see that birth and you see that baby. Yeah. You don't really feel the immense responsibility and you don't really know what you're doing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you learn as you go. And to me, this is a baby uh, that God has blessed me with to mm-hmm. be a steward of this seat, mm-hmm. to be a representative of 750,000 people. And I think they're going to have the patience with me and my brothers and sisters in Congress are going to have patience with me. As I learn with the other freshmen who are also there who have no idea what they're doing, mm-hmm. and we're going to learn together the parliamentary procedure, mm-hmm. um, the way things work, mm-hmm. while keeping our integrity to make the right decisions. And I think that's the key to it. I think if that's what I'm focused on. Uh, we were, I was at a lunch today, I hosted our volunteers our campaign one last time we ate over at a Mexican food restaurant next to our campaign headquarters and the um, Shelly said what can we pray for you um, as you go to Washington I said the thing I need most is discernment Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, you can have everything else in the world and have the best intentions but I want to know who's telling me the truth and who's lying who's a good person who's not so good yeah just give me the discernment I need to have the integrity that I need to have in this place. And I think if you have that, mm-hmm. everything else is going to come. Right. Because I would imagine, I was going to ask you <clears throat> if Vicki Hartzler or anyone else has given you like a, like a, like a, what do you call it? Hey, cliff, look out cliff, for that person. Cliff notes or a cheat sheet <laughs> of like, okay, don't go in your first week and ask this question. Like, or, but there could be people also said it even in a joking way, setting you up and being like, no, you got to make sure you ask about, you know, in kind of a prank, kind of right. a, kind of a hazing situation type. I don't know if that's even a thing in Congress, but you, you would want to know, like, are they setting right. me up to like, make me look stupid or is that something I really need to say or not say, or do I, do I, okay, don't look so-and-so in the eye because it freaks them out or, you know, like any of these little, like, you know, like, I mean, there are things. You really thought deep about this. I, I mean, you're talking and I'm like, 
like you seem so calm, which I think is good. I think that's a it shows sign leadership. That it shows leadership, but it also shows a sign that you are where you're supposed to be. There is something about that, that even if someone can't understand, like, even if you go, yeah, but you say it's like a baby and I'll figure it out as I go, but it's a huge responsibility. But if you have the peace of knowing that it is where you're supposed to be, where God put you, what you're supposed to be doing, you can't argue with that. Like you, you I just do. can't. I feel very resolute about where we are. I, I did wake up and Leslie and I had a conversation last night because I'm starting, you know, in these final days, I'm like, okay, God, you put me here, yeah. but what is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing once I get there? Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be revealed. It's kind of like um, a tapestry. Um, it's it's kind of hard to see the tapestry before it's woven and each stitch is a step in your life. And when you look back at those stitches, you see the full picture, but it's not until after it's woven. And I, I think it's going to be revealed after I've been there and yeah. after I've done some things. Sure. But right now, it's not like I have a clear vision of what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. But no one's really given me any like tips or hacks <laughs> to get through. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, little practical things about leasing a car, what to do, you know, there's a campaign side and there's a congressional side. So they're very separate. So our campaign office right now that I've, we put a lot of money and time in making it a great office over in Raymore, we're converting that to a congressional office. So all the campaign stuff has to come out of it. And I've got to make it not a welcoming place for Mark Alford for Congress and volunteers and Republicans. I've got to make it a welcoming place for all 750,000 people, no matter your political affiliation, no matter where you are in life. I want to make it a place where people come and feel welcome to get help Mm -hmm. for the problems Mm -hmm. that they're facing for federal issues, now not state or local issues. Right. um, It's just figuring out these little and there's so many rules, like uh, the house ethics <laughs> uh, book, you know, trying to go through that. I want to make sure that we do everything in an ethical manner. Mm-hmm. You don't want to end up before the house ethics committee. Right. Um, right. And so it's just a lot to learn, but it's okay. It's it's fun for me mm-hmm. because this is something new. Mm-hmm. You know, this stage in life, uh, you get to a certain age and you're like, well, what is this all there is, you know, to be on this <laughs> new set? Uh, making people feel good about getting up in the morning, reading stories, a lot of it about crime. Is that all there is? Mm -hmm. And, and I found out, no, there's, there's a lot more Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's, it's kind of renewed my passion, my lust and zeal for life. Good. I wanted to ask this because I've been, this has been weighing on my mind from the day that I saw your video that announced that you were going to be running for Congress and I'm paraphrasing here, so if I screw this up, don't hold this against me, but I remember you making some sort of implication that there were difficult conversations or tough times, maybe at the radio station, or rather the TV station, um, because you felt like you were being pushed to go or push a certain narrative that was separate from what your beliefs were. Am I accurate in going down that path? You had mentioned something about where you felt. Uh, I little... felt like a fish swimming up river. Yes, uh, yes. Salmon. Can you elaborate on that in, in, into some greater detail? I mean, um, I, I'm going to say this, and, and I know that you're friends with everybody at Fox 4. Nick Vasos, I know mm-hmm. he's he's very stout. Great guy. Great guy. Liberal. You know, so was there, was it stuff that was just kind of on a surface level or was there stuff up above that you were feeling that was giving you that unsettling feeling in, in, in Fox? 
I've always been a conservative, and I read a book uh, about 15, 20 years. Was, I, don't, I need to go back and look what date it was so I get it right, but it was entitled Bias uh, by Bernard Goldberg, and he was a reporter for CBS News. He was a contemporary of Walter Cronkite and Dan Rather. And in fact, until like 10 years ago, he was on Bill O'Reilly when O'Reilly was on Fox all the time. And um, anyway, the book was entitled Bias. Mm -hmm. And it really kind of lifted the scales off my eyes about what was going on in the media. I knew in general uh, that something was going on and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Why do things seem to be uh, coming from a liberal progressive standpoint? Mm -hmm. And you hear... Uh, a lot of criticism of the media in general about that and the way stories were written and the stories would come down from CNN or the Associated Press from a national level. And, um, and so they would have this liberal bent to it mm. and not the balance that I felt like it would should have. And so when I would try to out, uh, add balance, context, and perspective, and the, the older you get... <laughs> Um, the more I had of that because I, w I ingested and consumed a lot of news mm -hmm. from a lot of different sources. Mm -hmm. And so I would be able to uh, add this to the stories, and that didn't sit too well. Um, a lot With of who? Uh, Higher-ups. Okay. Uh, well, and it wasn't so much them. It would start with the public. Uh, the liberal progressive woke crowd that would watch – uh, and what's odd is that uh, our viewing area, which consists of many of the counties in our district, mm -hmm. uh, I think you have just as many conservatives as you do progressive liberals uh, potentially watching. Uh, but the people who would call in and complain because they didn't like something that I added to the stories, of course, were the liberals. Right. And so they screamed the loudest. They would email. They would try to get me fired. Uh, and then I would get called in to say, Hey, why did you say this? And I would say, here's when I said it. And here, and they said, where'd you get the information? I'd say, well, here's where I got the information. And, um, you know, it, after a while, it just started, I think, to get to the point where the station was frustrated with me. I was frustrated because I felt like I was, uh, being squelched mm -hmm. in some ways that I wasn't able to impart the total truth. And I felt like uh, it was my job, uh, almost a fiduciary responsibility to, I looked at my viewers as clients mm -hmm. and to give them the total picture of what was going on. I'll give you a perfect example. Yeah, I'd love one. I'd love that, yeah. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, <laughs> one was uh, when Hunter Biden's laptop story came out in October of 21. Mm -hmm. No, the twenty. 20, right before the election. And I had seen it on Fox and some other news sources, uh, the Bobolinsky interview that uh, um, Tucker Carlson had done that was quite revealing and, mm -hmm. and really damning. Um, but that story, as we're shown now by the release of the Twitter files, uh, was suppressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the media went along with suppressing that story, and I was saying behind the scenes, why are we not doing this story? And a lot of the people, I think most, if not all the people that I talked to, didn't even know about it because mm. they weren't watching Fox News. Right, right. And so I was continually fighting that. It wasn't. It's not that anyone there was bad, mm -hmm. um, but they did not watch 
the same news sources that I watched. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it was a battle that I had uh, that I either had to keep battling right. or move on and do something different. And so when this seat came open, I thought, this is my opportunity. Hmm. I know this information. Um, uh, I believe that there's another side that's not being told a lot in the media in general. And I was tired of fighting from mm-hmm. the inside. I wanted to take that fight to a new arena. And uh, I, as I said in that video, I don't mind fighting. Right. Uh, but after a while, it gets kind of old. Mm-hmm. And I figure there's got to be more to life. I was really at an angst position. My wife, Leslie, was worried about me because I was like, even before the seat opened, I'm like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I know what the truth is, and I want to give people the truth. Mm-hmm. And if I can't do that without going home and feeling miserable every day, then I don't want to do this job anymore. So the issue really wasn't with personality or TV um anchor colleagues oh no it was all upper management all upper management okay and it wasn't really you know i think really if you asked them they would probably agree with me after i explained myself where i was coming from the problem is they didn't want to deal with the i don't think they wanted to deal with the loud segment of the viewership Mm -hmm. but that's that's their story to tell so coming from the media, and we had Chris DeGaul in here, what was it, a month ago, a few mm, episodes like that, ago. Yeah. Great conversation. You know Chris. He t- mm-hmm. We talked about you in that episode. Um, and I'm not saying anything revolutionary here, but the thing that I have been saying for a long time is that I feel like that once media went to 24-hour networks, then that's when things started going, uh, networks started having a narrative. Uh, as opposed to the old days, you mentioned Walter Cronkite, mm-hmm. you know, when really all you had was your CBS, your NBC, right. your ABC, and you had your 10 o'clock news, your local news, and then you had your, yeah. you know, your national news or vice versa, whichever order. And you had that 30 minutes and they, they, all they could do is fit in the facts in that 30 minutes. And it didn't seem like I'm 47. And it seemed like when I was a kid, of course, maybe immature and not really understanding, I didn't feel like I was watching something where they were pushing something on me. They were just Mm -hmm. giving me the facts. What is a source to go to get facts? Because if I'm being completely honest with you, (laughs) I I get just as frustrated with Fox News as I do with MSNBC or CNN. Now, granted, I don't watch a lot of MSNBC, but I will occasionally go to CNN just to see what's going on there. And some of the conduct that I see on Fox News bothers me because... And I'll say this and then I'll let you answer this, but we live in the United States of America and I want to see something that is uniting us. That's mm-hmm. the beauty of this country is that you can have difference of an opinion, you know, but we shouldn't be shamed for having differences of, of an opinion. So I just want to go somewhere where I can get the hard truth facts. I don't think you're ever going to see one cable news network. I'm afraid of that too. That will ever present that. Now, CNN and their new leadership is trying to get back to that. I remember when they first started with Bobby Batista uh, back back in the 80s. People probably don't remember her. Hmm. Um, when they first started, as you said, there were very, uh, you know, you watched the, maybe someone had a morning newscast. They weren't very popular back then. Maybe a noon, but a 5 o'clock and a 6 o'clock and a mm-hmm. 10 o'clock. And, right. was it. and then you had sprinkled in there a, a nightly news mm-hmm. um, a national news program, but we didn't have 24 hours of news. And so what happened was 
with the advent of CNN and then Fox and then MSNBC and CNBC, it was 24 hours of black to fill. Right. And they had to fill it with something. Got to do something. And news is the cheapest thing you can fill it with because you have to pay for all the other products that are produced, other programming. News is the cheapest to do. And Mm. so they filled it with news. And in order to get people to watch, they had to interview people on different topics. And that's where more commentary came in. Before then, you didn't have much commentary. You might have some analysis, political analysis, but very little commentary. And so they started filling these shows with loud voices. (laughs) And the louder the voice, the more... The ratings went up. The ratings went up. And the more divisive the voices, the mm-hmm. ratings went up. It was almost like the Jerry Springer show had come to news. <laughs> yes, that's a really that's good a way of putting analogy, it. And yeah. so people like to see people throwing chairs. And people <sighs> didn't on the news programs didn't throw chairs, but they threw barbs. And that's how it all kind of this conflagration of, of conflict came mm-hmm. about. And conflict sold. Right. And that's and the and then it started to get more rarefied to different audiences where conservatives started watching Fox mm-hmm. uh, and people want to hear what they believe to confirm their bias. Mm-hmm. And people started uh, <laughs> yeah. listening to MSNBC for the same reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just got more rarefied and rarefied and rarefied. And Here, so, here's the other thing that I feel like has also happened with that. That has, that has bled over into politics and politicians because these politicians get invited to go onto these news networks and the more outspoken they are and the more, uh, you see where I'm going with this, the more they get invited back, which means more and they're in the limelight, more they get reelected. You see where we're going with this. So the more money they raise from donors who see them on this side. It's more about entertain. Like it's, it's like, we have to be entertaining. This has Mm -hmm. to be entertaining. We have to be sensational. We have to, whatever it is grab attention we can't just go on and i think we've lost the art when i grew up my dad gave me a book called uh, dale carnegie how to win friends and influence people (laughs) one of the best books if you haven't read it or gotten it for your kids uh he's long been gone i I think he was born in belton actually Hmm. really in belton yeah i didn't know that either um but anyway uh one of the key tenets of the book is to win people over through argumentation and not emotion to win them over to your side of thinking, it's not, we, you have to, it's a dying art in America. It's mm-hmm. what we're doing here today to mm-hmm. listen, reflect, and respond. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, we've lost the art of listening and valuing people and people don't feel valued. So there's a lot of hurt and anger in our society now. And mm-hmm. you see that being played out in a vast a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. One of the things I want to do, and I've, I've talked about this in my campaign, I want to try to bring healing back to America. Um, I don't want to be a loud, stringent, strong voice in this, in the sense of uh, creating emotion and, and stirring people up to wrath and anger. I want to win them over through argumentation, mm-hmm. rational thought, being a reasonable person, and explaining to them why the Republican conservative values are better values than a Democrat liberal progressive value. Mm-hmm. If we can do that as Americans and have intelligent debate and understanding, then I think that's going to help in the healing. The other part that I've I talked about in my speech, and I tried to end every speech I did with this, is I really feel like President Reagan had it right some 40 years ago when he said, this is not an exact quote, but something to the effect of it's 
It's time that we realize that we need God more than he needs mm. us. It's time mm-hmm. for us to reassert our trust in God. It's time to turn to God for the healing of America. I think we have lost the focus of what our country is really was founded on, the protection and providence of God. And if we can bring God back into our picture, I'm not saying to convert everyone to Christianity, but the values that God represents, mainly love. If we love our neighbor mm-hmm. as ourselves, mm-hmm. um, we're going we're gonna to do a lot more for society than we are at yelling at each other. There's too much yelling in America. Right, because the, the the fact of the matter is, like you said, you're not going to make everyone a Christian, right? No. You're not going to be baptizing every single person, but, and everyone's not going to agree on everything. So there are still going to be Democrats, and there are still going to be levels of that, right? There's going to be... But that's okay. But that's okay. Like, why, you don't really want everyone... To, it's just like we don't want everyone to act like you, or act mm-hmm. like you, or act like me. We're all different but we can't be so disrespectful to one another just because you don't understand how I feel about something. And I don't understand how you feel. We cannot understand each other, but still have be respectful to one another and be kind. I don't have to just go, Oh really? You think you think this about fill in the blank, right? Well then I'm, I'm not talking to you and I'm, I'm erasing you from my life. I have no time for you, no space for you. Like, what is all the canceling? What is that about? <laughs> it's gotten to a point where it's um, crazy. Where we only want to be around people like minded. Mm-hmm. We I was at the Plaza Art Fair. Leslie and I go <laughs> every year for is our anniversary mm-hmm. on September twenty third, and we always go down there. And this was right before, so after the primary, but before the general election, and. Um, we were walking around, and, and usually people stop and talk to me because I had been on Fox 4, and yeah. but other people were noticing me but not coming up. And I always make it a practice uh, to go up to people, even if they look like they know who I am. I go up and introduce myself, yeah. and I did to these two ladies. <laughs> and they said, oh, we know who you are. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, oh, really? She said, yeah, we live in, we live in the 4th District, and we're not voting for you. Ooh. And I said, well, that's fine. I just want to introduce and we may uh, disagree on some things, and that's okay. Right. No, it's not. You know, we're not even going to talk. I mean, it was oh. a total oh. shutdown, to- oh. like this anger directed at me. Right. Like, well, if you don't, then don't vote for me. That's fine. Right. Uh, but we're still both humans. We still mm-hmm. are both citizens of the U.S. Yeah. Uh, there's some, we've got to work together as a nation to help bring healing. So that's part of the problem that I have a little bit of frustration and I think it's no secret that we're, I'm conservative. Jill's conservative. Um, I got Trump's picture on my yeah. wall. I'm probably a conservative. <laughs> um, but I am really frustrated with the Republican party. How so? I'm, rep- I'm, I'm really frustrated with Mitch McConnell. I'm really frustrated with McCarthy. I'm really frustrated with, um, I'm really frustrated with the hypocrisy. And I understand that as humans, at some point in time, we're going to be hypocrites, but we can't be sitting up here on this plateau screaming and glorifying Jesus when we're over here, not putting Jesus first when talking to others. And there's a lot of hate and shame and deceitful discussion. And I guess Pastor Phil is... I go to abundant life Mm -hmm. and I've been seeing him during the 
the elections over the last several years. And he said, you know, it's not a Republican problem and it's not a Democrat problem. It's a God problem. We're not putting God first. We're not thinking about God first. And so that's going to be tough. I'm not saying it's going to be tough for you because I know that you're convicted in your faith, but you're going to be going into an arena where a lot of people act like they are, but they're not doing it. What's your response to that? I can't speak for anyone else. I know the frustration you feel with the leadership, uh, especially in the Senate, um, especially this last omnibus bill that went through. I'm like, how in the world is this happening? Um, which is a whole nother topic, but right. We don't have time for that, but, um, (laughs) look, I'm one person, one of 435 people in the Congress. That's fair. I can only answer for myself to God. Mm -hmm. And I've told people, I don't know if his intention is to have me there for one term, two years or 20 years. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't really care. I'm there to do a job and to answer to him and answer to the voters. Mm -hmm. So wherever that takes me, that takes me. Um, There are people, I think, who go to Washington who get caught up in the swamp, whatever you want to call it, the the trap, the lure, the Mm -hmm. electricity, the the lust for power. Um, But I and want to stay there. And don't want to come back. Uh, one of the things we're going to be doing is coming back every weekend. I'm not living up there. Oh, I wondered about that. I'm sleeping in my office. Um, I've wow. got a closet that's uh, six by ten, something like that. I'm going to get a little Murphy bed. And I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to go to the gym uh, in the basement and get back in shape and take a shower. <laughs> There's an ulterior motive. I was going to say, right? Um, that is cool. But I don't. I, D.C. is not going to be my home. The 4th District is my home. Mm -hmm. The 4th District are my clients. My clients aren't in Washington, and they never will be. And that's the way the U.S. House of Representatives was set up. Our founding fathers did not set up the U.S. House to go there and be a stepping stone from another political position to that, and then on to senator, then come out a lobbyist or whatever. It was there for a short time for people, ordinary people like you and me, and doctors and farmers and mothers and teachers to go there like Vicki Artzer was a teacher yeah. to go there for a short time to be a voice for the people and then come back home it was never meant that's why it's set up for every two years unlike the <laughs> senate where you have to you have to come back you have to be in touch with the people mm-hmm. you have to have your ear to the ground and your 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 finger on their pulse and to know what's going on in their hearts souls and minds so you can reflect that to be a voice mm-hmm. and that's why i th- i think uh, our message ended up resonating with people because the other people in the primary are great people, a lot of good people in the race. But I think I was uniquely qualified to be that voice. And that's what God set me up to do, to be a voice, to, mm-hmm. to put down the microphone and pick up this megaphone to be a voice for people. Hmm. I could keep going with lots of questions, I but know, I want to give I you an opportunity it. to say Go whatever ahead. you want to say. I, 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 I'm just, I'm moved by that last part. I am that too. Was just really good. Um, I mean, I, there's lots of things I want to ask you about, and I actually have some, maybe we can end with this. Um, I've, I sent texts to some former coworkers at Fox four of what I should ask you about or what we okay, should talk go about. For no, but I'll, I'll, we'll do that at the end. <laughs> no, and, let's do and, that but at I want the you end. to, I, I want you to guess who the question, you can, you can decide whether or not to respond to what All they right. said. You can just guess who it was. But anyway, um, so do you have any, any thoughts, whether it's hopes or, 
not necessarily like oh insider thoughts, but like the next presidential election. Hmm. What do you, what do you think? What do you see happening? Like, do you think Trump is going to be? Um, what do you think? You know, Trump endorsed me, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so which was a whole weird thing in itself. <laughs> yeah, how does that happen? Well, he finds out you're going to win, and then he endorses you. Okay, oh. I appreciate the transparency. Which people are asking me, are you going to endorse Trump? I said, well, if he's the nominee. But he didn't endorse me until I was the nominee, right? Okay. So does he have this phone call with you? Like, does he call out of the blue? Do you, so does someone reach out to you and say, uh, former President they, Trump is going to be reaching out to yes, you. You need to take this call at 12 o'clock noon. It happened. They said, President Trump wants to endorse you. Um, and they gave me a, a statement of what he wanted to say. Hmm. And was there anything I wanted to add to it? And it looked good to me. And uh, they said, okay, he'll be calling you in the next um, couple of days. Hmm. And this was, I forgot what day this was. It was after August 2nd, of course, but it was sometime in, oh, it was two weeks before the, so it was late October. Okay. I was thinking, this is taking a while. It was right before the election, (laughs) right? This is taking a while. And um, so uh, I was driving from downtown Kansas City, had some business to do there. Uh, I think I'd had lunch with Carl DeCapo from Italian Gardens, Mm -hmm. and I was driving through, and I got to the Grandview Triangle, and the phone rings, and it's a Palm Beach number. Oh, my gosh. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this is the president. Here I am in the Grandview Triangle. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And wouldn't you want to record it, like, somehow? that's the thing. I kind of wanted to be at home so Leslie could hear it. And... uh, Oh my gosh! So uh, the the operator—you can't just say, "Hey, can you give me like ten minutes and call I me know. back?" I'm kind of stuck in traffic. I'm busy right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, the lady said, "This is so and so with the President Trump's office, and the President would like to speak with you. Do you have a minute?" I said, "Sure." So, elevator music comes on. About thirty seconds later, uh, he comes on. Mark, I said, uh, "Yes, sir." And he says. Uh, I just wanted, you're going to love this news. You're going to love this. I'm going to give you my full and complete endorsement. And, uh, I said, well, thank you, sir. And he read the whole thing that I'd already, they'd already read to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he said, how's that sound to you? And I said, well, how about America first? We need America first in there. Mark stands for America first. And he's yelling at people. Mark wants America first. Get America first. (laughs) So the conversation went on for a couple of minutes and he said, I, you, you need to come back to Mar-a-Lago. We'll do a big fundraiser for you, and I'm excited for you. Wow. And um, I said, before we go, Mr. President, I want to tell you this. I'm going up there to do a job, and this president that we have now currently, um, I think he has intentionally run this beautiful ship called America into this reef of despair, and now there are holes in this ship and when we get to Congress, we are going to patch the ship. Mm. We're going to get it seaworthy again. And then we're waiting for a captain to come back to sit behind the Resolute desk in mm. the Oval Office and guide this ship once again to prosperity and greatness. He says, I like that. I like that a lot. I said, but I tell you what. <laughs> I, here's another thing. I said, it's one thing to inspire. It, it, it's one thing to make America great again. We need to make Americans great again. Mm. I like that. We need to inspire people to greatness, and I want to help you do that. Wow, that's really good, Mark. Um, Because we've lost that in America. I agree. We have turned this beautiful country into a nation of victims, and we are not victims. We are victors. Mm -hmm. 
we live in the greatest nation ever known to man, and yet people have told us that this is the worst nation. We've had all these problems, the sins of our past. And yes, we still live with some of those stains and residue of the mm-hmm. sins of our past. But God is a God of creation and renewal. And he has given us an opportunity to take the, the negatives and make them something positive. Until we get in that mindset again, we're not going to be the nation that we could be. And I hope and pray that if and when uh, President Trump regains the nomination, if he does, and if he does get to the Oval Office again, there, there might be a change in his demeanor, uh, his communication, uh, that he will you know, take his business savvy and what he's learned in government so far and uh, try to inspire people to greatness because I think we're missing that. Mm. That's what you're hoping for, or you have a feeling that that's the new direction he's going to take? You know something. That's what I'm hoping. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me too. I have no inside information. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. We can only hope and pray. You know, even, uh, and I like DeSantis too. I, th- I think he's, he's uh, what he's done with Florida to get them through the COVID uh, crisis, um, to make that state a desirable state where people are flooding in there, leaving places like California to go live in a state that they truly believe is free mm-hmm. and encouraging and inspiring. People are attracted to that. For yeah. sure. I just want there to be more respect. Um, I don't know how to say it other than probably going to sound foolish saying it. It's just that when I watch these presidential um, campaigns, and we're talking about the size of people's hands and, you know, all the ridiculous things that were going on. That's what makes me so disappointed in, frankly, our party and the way we're talking about others. And so I'm hoping that whoever it might be, I, I guess what I'm asking for is somebody of leadership who's going to be able to stand up there with a stiff upper lip and a spine and, and be convicted in their conservative values while showing respect and empathy towards the other side, regardless of what their opinion might be of them. And I think that as we continue to to go down this road where we're shaming other people and speaking disparaging of other people, talking about their size of their hands, you know, and you see where I'm going mm-hmm. with that without actually getting the crayons out, like that is just counterproductive, in my opinion. We need more of that. We need more decorum. One of the things that's in the House Ethics Code, and I need to go back and read it, is talking about decorum and how you do address people on the House floor. And Mm -hmm. it's not personal attacks. You always speak to the Speaker of the House. You don't speak Mm -hmm. to the cameras. You're not speaking to the audience on C-SPAN. You're Mm. speaking to the Speaker. And uh, it is that. I, I have been guilty, and my wife has made me change this, but one of my best lines in my speech was that uh, we're going to fire Nancy Pelosi. We're going to give her the broom. We're going to watch her ride it all the way back to California. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oops. It was so good that Ted Cruz took my line, but, uh. but that's okay. Um, but Leslie heard me say that when she, when she started coming to some of my speeches, she says, that's not nice. You got it. So I quit saying that. Um, and I did have an opportunity to meet Nancy Pelosi after our. Uh, she had a reception in her office, and mm-hmm. all the new members were expected to go. And I went, and I did say thank you for your service to our country, because I don't agree with her on anything, anything, <laughs> right? Uh, but she has served our nation, and yeah. uh, it. 
whether you like her or not, mm-hmm. she's served. Yeah. Right. She's serving and she's, she's standing up for what, she, what is important to her. Like exactly. it's, it's and the her same, constituents. Yeah, exactly. Everyone needs to be represented. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Emmanuel Cleaver is a, a great example of that. Uh, he's a representative for the fifth congressional district mm-hmm. and he serves their needs and their wants and their desires. He's their representative. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that we've got an hour with you and we're at 47 minutes, 48 minutes into (laughs) this. And there's a, there's a few things that we want to hit on before you leave. I'll just say this before we kind of transition. Um, I'm praying for you. Thank you. I'm praying for everybody in Washington. Um, I really appreciate you coming in and just, without it being like a campaign, obviously you've already won. So there's nothing to campaign. It's just three people with the same values sitting down and having a conversation. I really appreciate you coming in and, and discussing where your heart is with this, because my fear is that much of not all of Washington is a swamp. And in order to get what you want, you got to give a little what they want from you. And in order, and it's kind of like, you got to do the dirty play and I'm scared for you. I'm scared for you because I know you're going in with the right reasons. I know you're going in to do God's work. And I just, um, I, I, I really hope that you will be able to be as successful as I think you can be without having to go to the dark side. Well, thank you. How about we do this? How about I come back a year from now and let's have another discussion and We'll do a report card on that. That would be I incredible. I'm holding right. you to that. All I right. I love that. All well, right. And I, I think that was great that when when you said that one of your volunteers asked what to pray for you, mm-hmm. that discernment, that that is the, that is the perfect yes. specific, not that God needs us to pray specifics because he already knows, right? But I think that that helps the one on this side of the prayer <laughs> that isn't you because you can pray for that for yourself too. Sure. But for someone like myself that I, I know what that feels like to want that in certain situations, you know what I mean? So that's different than just going, Hey, I'll, I'll pray for you. And just a general, like, well, I don't right. know. What am I, pray, what am I praying for that? That mm-hmm. is Murphy beds comfortable in his, <laughs> in his closet. I mean, okay, <laughs> whatever. Um, but I mean, that's the, I think that's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it makes a difference on the other end of the prayer, but I think it helps me to know what I'm praying for specifically. Well, it keeps it in my focus too, because if I know that people are praying for discernment, I'm going to be more discerning. Mm-hmm. Oh. Sure. Same with wisdom. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I quit pe- praying for patience. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know why? So it's a waste of a prayer. No, because God, <laughs> if you pray for patience, He's going to give you things to. To, teach to test you. your patience. Your oh, patience. that's really that's really fun. But also, also something that was pointed out to me, and and I'll not remember all of the things in the verse, but the the scripture in Galatians where it says the fruit of the spirit, mm-hmm. love, joy, peace, patience, love and kindness, kindness. all those things. Um, it was pointed out to me that it doesn't say fruits. The fruits of the spirit are. So when someone says, "I just, I just don't have enough patience in me." or I don't have enough kindness Mm -hmm. in me. God has given us, like that's our gift. He's given us, if we have the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is. It's one big cornucopia Mm -hmm. of fruit. It's not, oh, he gave you loving kindness, and he gave you patience, and he gave me It's one singular fruit. It is one fruit, and you have it all. It doesn't mean that you don't struggle with one more than another, but you have it all. I think that that is in layers to this fruit. 
mm-hmm. like an onion almost, mm-hmm. and that one is built upon the other. Mm-hmm. That one that. one begets another. Sure, mm. but we we can do that discussion. Later. Yeah, that will be another time. Um, I wanted to. I know you want to get to that, yeah, and we're going to close with It'll that. Take a couple but minutes, I would long. be remiss if I didn't bring up Donnie Harmon. Um, I freaking love that guy. Um, I, I I just want to share a couple stories with you. He played in the Q104 celebrity golf tournament and was on my team. I'm sorry. And (laughs) I was five iron and a putter. Yeah. He had a very skinny bag. It was like a junior golf set (laughs) Yeah, and he wasn't very tall. So it might as well, it could have been a a junior golf set. I, and I know you know this. I don't think that I have ever laughed that hard (laughs) in my life. The only thing that sucked about that entire deal was that we got hit with a severe thunderstorm that yeah. day and he had to leave to go back to the station to report on that. Yeah. Otherwise we would have got 18 rounds of that, that just complete hilarity. Mm-hmm. And I, I will never ever forget how much laughter and joy I had with him on that day. And then secondly, uh, he would call into the, I did nights at the time at Q104 and he would call in the hotline just right because we had that, yeah. that, that experience. We yeah. had that time together. So he has the hotline number anyway. He'd call into the morning show. Mm-hmm. He'd call in at night and make some jokes or just say something so stupid and random. But yet it was so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was one, I think my last moment with him was maybe a couple months before he passed. And he happened to be at Whiskey Tango. Mm. And we were, it wasn't like a crazy night, but we're just sitting there, just the two of us having a couple mm. beers and we're talking about everything, just all different things. And and I'm curious about meteorology because my dad's a pilot and you got to yeah. know a little bit about that to fly a plane. Yeah. And so we're just going back and forth. I just, I know you were close with him. And as somebody who, uh, I don't know if you know this, but this podcast was inspired <clears throat> because of my struggle with mental health and depression and anxiety that this was, I was diagnosed about a year ago, had the suicidal ideation in a much better place now but some friends pushed me and challenged me to do this podcast to bring awareness to the issue and use it as an opportunity to challenge myself to be open about it and not internalize it because that was my biggest problem. Mm -hmm. So knowing how close you are with him and how much of an impact and how much I loved him, um, I just wanted to bring him up and and maybe Mm -hmm. you just say a few words about your old friend. Thank you. And I applaud you for talking about it. Um, I think if anything good came out of Don's death, it was that people in our market, uh, we started talking about suicide and mental health issues. I, I, I liken it to when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s, people didn't really talk about cancer. Mm-hmm. It was the big C. Mm-hmm. My cousin uh, died of cancer, and my whole family never talked about it. Died of testicular cancer, and they could barely say the word. There's mm-hmm. like some shame attached mm-hmm. to it. Wasn't his fault. Really? Um, but that's just the way it was back then. It was the big C. Um, Don was a very special friend, and we shared a lot, mm. a lot of crazy times. And we used to, we were both a little bit frustrated at points uh, there at the station. And I remember during some commercial breaks, Don and I would like, are we just going to die right here on the set together? <laughs> we're going to be like old men. We're going to be 90 years old and just keel over. And um, grumpy old men, right? Grumpy, it, it was like the two four. guys at uh, the Muppets and the, the yes. two old men <laughs> yes. out in the balcony. In the yes, I can't think of their names, but yes, I know who you're talking about. Um, Don, <laughs> you know, after he died, um, Lauren, um, we 
together, but it was her idea to make the decision to go on the next day. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I didn't really want to, but she felt it was important to, and, uh, cause it was right after Thanksgiving, 11 yeah. years ago. Still seems like it was yesterday. Yeah. I remember um, it well. And we went on and, um, uh, through that morning, we're able to talk about what went on, and we shared a lot of tears. And uh, you know, Don was probably the most loved person in Kansas City who was on TV. And so, um, I think that that openness got people to talking. And I, after that, got a lot of calls from people wanting. I, I don't know if they wanted counseling from me. Not that I had any expertise, but at that time, the hotlines weren't that prevalent of where sure. to go for help. Or they would call and couldn't get the help they needed, or the services weren't there. And so for a long time, I I, I dealt with with that, uh, trying to help people, uh, just listening to them. And or they would call and say, "My son, you know, is having this issue. And what advice do you have?" And I said, "Well, you need to consult a professional, mm-hmm. but just try to get him to talk uh, until you can get him to a professional." Um. A couple of years ago, somebody at our station uh, contacted me and said, hey, this person wants to meet you, um, and I'm, I'm not going to use any names, but I'm, I met with a mom, and uh, she told me this story that her son at the time was, I don't know, early teens, and they were watching this unfold, Lauren and me and others talking about what about Don's death, his suicide, and us crying and sharing our emotions. And the son said that morning, Mom, I'm thinking about doing the same thing that Don did. Mm. And she got help. And today, that young man has two children of his own and may not have been there now, and those kids not been there now, have we not been open to talk about mental health issues. I also liken it to, I, I I know this is a crazy analogy, but I had a Chevy Suburban that I bought in 03 when I got a new contract at Fox four. And I thought I'm going to go out and buy a new car. We had young kids. I got the nicest Suburban I could get (laughs) $45,000 back then. That was a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. They're now like 120. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I put 400 and 450,000 miles on that. Wow. Something like that. Dang. But I didn't drive that Suburban for 13 years or for however long that was, 10 years, and put that many miles without changing the oil, Yeah. without getting new tires, without regularly servicing. Mm. Your mind, your marriage your interaction with people, your physical being, your spiritual being, and your mental being all need servicing. Mm-hmm. And the older you get, the more servicing you need at more, inter, you know, at, at, a, at a greater frequency. Yeah. And until we come to that realization that there is no shame mm-hmm. in seeking mental health help, and now with the advent of telehealth that we have, I think yeah. that's come about because of COVID, if anything has come in good of right. that. That's a great one. Uh, we're able to connect with professionals. If you're out in the middle of the 4th Congressional District in Osceola and you can't get into Clinton, 
because if it's a snowstorm and you can't get to Kansas City, you can get on your internet and you can seek help. And so um, I say all that to say this. If you're struggling out there, uh, please know that a lot of other people are struggling. And that doesn't make it a bad thing. Right. Um, it makes it a bad thing if you don't talk about it. Because mm. by coming out and surviving that suicidal ideation and not becoming uh, a statistic, you're helping save someone else's life by being mm. vocal about it. Yeah. Mm. The shame is the worst. That is the worst because you feel like you're all alone and you're scared to talk about it because you don't want to be a product of somebody's bad environment. You don't want to bring somebody down to your level. At least that's where I was at. And I, I wish that I would have given my friends uh, more credit because they're friends who have lifted me up at some point in time in my life. Why wouldn't they lift me up then? And, and so I will ask this, and then I want to get on to the fun part of, of us closing <laughs> up this, this uh, podcast. But internalizing was what my biggest problem was for two years. I internalized and it just got worse and mm. worse and worse. And of course I'm as, I don't know if you know this, but I have a TV show called Heartland Waterfowl. Of course did radio for all these years. I got yeah. this large, much like Donnie, Donnie, a guy who's just full of life and personality and laughter. And he's making so many people laugh. You would, I would have never, ever, right. ever, right. ever right. guessed that that guy was going through something. Many people until I came out on this podcast would have ever guessed that I was going through something. Um, so the internalizing was what the biggest problem was. So my question to you was, did you know that something was going on oh, with yeah. Donnie? Had he talked to you? I knew. In fact, when you go back and look at the videotape that we did, you could see it progressively getting worse. I, I knew, and I said, Don, let's go get help together. I will go with you. And he said, no, I'm no, I don't need help. Yeah. Hmm. I think that was the most, uh, I think, I think he realized what was going on. Um, but kind of wanted to protect us from that in some weird way. Yeah, no, I get it. Mm. Um, I, um, but yeah, you could, I knew that I didn't know it was to that point, Yeah, but I knew that he was having trouble and I didn't know how to help. I didn't know what to say. I think one thing that we do, you know, and you probably do this at church a lot and others when you meet people, Hey, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Yep. And you're not really, it's like, <laughs> Might as well be saying the moon is blue. The moon is blue. <laughs> the moon is blue. Yeah. Um, to really ask that in a way that you really want an answer and mm -hmm. you're okay if someone wants to stand there for 15 minutes and talk about their problems or go to a side room or something mm -hmm. and really, you know, I think as we're so afraid of being vulnerable as humans mm -hmm. because it shows weakness and we're so caught up in power and control in, in our society that strength is really in your weakness. That's where the strength of God and Jesus Christ mm -hmm. reveals itself. And um, I think it was the Apostle Paul who said, I've become weak so he can become strong. Mm -hmm. mm. And um, no matter what you do, um, you've got to leave room for God, and, and that weakness certainly does that. Yeah. Mm. 
you guys, last question, Jill. Yeah, no. It's um, different. you guys started an organization or a foundation or something in memory of Don. Called You Matter. You Matter, right? And so, can you expand on that or give like if somebody's maybe listening to this because there are people who listen to this podcast because of my story, mm-hmm. and so if for whatever reason they are feeling lost, alone, ashamed, um, what can you? through that organization provide them or, or suggest to them to get help? The You Matter can- campaign came out of my eulogy for Don um, because Don didn't really, this is the weird part. Everyone loved Don, but Don f- didn't feel like he mattered. Yeah. Mm. And so I talked about that in the eulogy and why he did matter. And that kind of odd <sighs> thing that was going on in his mind that he just didn't see reality. Mm-hmm. It was hidden from him. Or So um, Fox 4 started the You Matter campaign, and uh, there's it's a basically uh, a public relations uh, campaign to bring awareness to mental health issues and mm-hmm. giving hotline numbers. Uh, if you Google uh, You Matter and Fox 4, it should come up. Okay. And there's now the National Suicide Hotline that uh, I haven't seen how that's progressing, but I know it's federally, I believe there's some federal funding involved with that. Um, one of the big um, platforms of my campaign has been and will continue to be, uh, hopefully getting on the House Armed Services Committee, um, mental health issues. Uh, we have 24 service members, veterans who take their lives each day mm-hmm. on average. Oh. You know, for the greatest country in the world, that should not be happening. Mm-hmm. We've got to provide the resources for our veterans and current service personnel that gives them stability in their lives and gives them hope for the future. Yep. And we've talked about PTSD on this show uh, in a couple of different episodes, they come back and they just don't have that brotherhood that they had when they were mm-hmm. overseas and they feel alone and they don't yeah. feel the, the people love. here don't understand and nope. they can't relate and all those things. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up then. I guess Jill, you've got Uh-oh. some, uh, you got some fun. So how's bad. this game played? It's not bad. Okay. So I'm just going to show you. I, so I screenshot what, what their response was. And, and you, you can, you can either respond to what it means if it means something, or you. Do whatever. I have to guess who this who I, said it? I mean, I think that I would be fun. Because right. right. it might be. I don't, I can't tell because it's so obviously you ask inside. people at our station at yeah. Fox Four, mm-hmm. uh, just a couple, yeah. And you ask them what? So this was. I just said we're. I'm. I'm going to be doing a <laughs> podcast with. <laughs> it says. It says he loves saying jalapeno, jalapeno. <laughs> on a steak. Uh-huh. You know where that comes from? Uh-uh. You ever seen Jeff Dunham, the ventriloquist? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. So he has a puppet. It's a jalapeno <laughs> on a stick. Oh, yes. I oh, remember oh, that. Yeah, yeah. On a stick. On a stick. So it's basically a jalapeno <laughs> on a stick, and he makes it talk. <laughs> so Jeff Dunham, here's yeah. an odd story that comes about from that. So I started at a TV station in Waco okay. in 1988. I met Leslie there. She was a producer. I was a reporter. Jeff Dunham was one of our cameramen in the studio. Is that right? He had gone to Baylor. Wow. He did side parties as a kid with these ventriloquist dolls. And have you seen the one that he has, this uh, Walter, the old man? That yeah, it looks, looks like, like Biden. Biden. Joe Biden, yeah. <laughs> at a going-away party for someone at our station, we had gathered over at uh, the sports <laughs> anchor's house because uh-huh. he's the only one who could afford a house. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Anyway, I was making like five bucks an hour. Yeah. So we gathered over there for this party, and and Jeff says, "Hey, I've got this new act I want to try out on you guys." Oh my goodness. He brings out this new puppet, and it was Walter, and one of his first uh, appearances with Walter. Wow. And now I see him, and he's like a multi gazillionaire. Right. Sure. Like, did you ever go see him in Vegas? No. Does he, he still have the Vegas West- show? I don't know if he's there know. anymore. He came to West Palm once when I was a reporter there, and I we almost got to go see him. I didn't do it, but mm. you get to I, stay in touch with him. No, no. I'm thinking maybe now you're I'm kind of be a, in Congress. I got a yeah, helicopter maybe. on right. my damn building here and circuit service running around here. No, we I'm might kidding. have a reunion. I don't. Know. That would be really cool if you yeah. guys could. So who is it that? Who do you that, think that uh, brought that jalapeno. up? Jalapeno. Was that Carly? No. Michelle. No. <laughs> Abby. Okay. The, Process the, of the elimination other, here. Other, hold on. The other person said, the, the same person said, um, ask him his favorite sayings when I would do weather forecasts. It could be worse. Oh, Kathy, Kathy Quinn. Kathy uh, I was going to, yeah. Well, Kathy, the only reason I knew that is because you work so closely with yeah. her doing yeah. the Cars for Heroes. Kathy, yeah. uh, is, <laughs> I was watching her the other day when the weather turned bad. I thought, I'm going to watch Kathy. <laughs> and uh, she didn't say it on this, but they always make you drive around in the car to show how the road conditions yes. are. Yeah. Yes. Which is, I think, hilarious. <laughs> anyway, don't be on the roads, but we are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she would always say, slow down, take it easy. That was like, she didn't realize she was saying that, but yeah. she'd always say that. That okay. was kind of so her, would, out, her out her, crutch. Yeah. Yeah. Slow down, take it easy. And if ever, she's such an optimist, which I love. I love her. Which is. is very difficult being in the news business. Yes. <laughs> but um, there would be a horrific story about something and she would say, but it could be worse. It could, <laughs> could be worse. She'd always find that it could be worse. Oh, wow. Aww. Well, she also said, tell you. Tell him I love him. Oh, that was her little add on at the end. Um, okay, so the other one, I just have one more. So this is, I, I, I screenshot the whole thing so you can Uh-oh. just see it. And see. You got to read it out loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's two, it's a, it's a two part. You know where this is at? What this is about? Mm-mm. Ask him if he wants his coffee on set before the interview begins. All and right, so that's one. That's okay. one comment. Okay. So there was a hit piece that came out in the Kansas City Star. Okay. They went out of their way to try to find people to disparage me who I'd worked with. Oh. And one of them said that I, I forgot the quote. You can go look it up. It was like, Mark demanded that I have coffee on the set. <laughs> Hot coffee. Before. Every morning. Oh that my was gosh. my job. I'm like, who? I wanted to say, do you know my wife? <laughs> If she ever heard me talk to anybody like that, uh-huh. she would have yeah. uh-huh. done Elena Bobbin on me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, so I uh, that did not happen. Right, right, right. Um, the second one was ask him about naked yoga. I do know who that is. <laughs> That's got to be from Carly. That is Carly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'll explain that. Uh, so we don't get in trouble. Uh, there was a please. <laughs> there was a story about uh, some yoga. They would pop up the video behind on the big screen during weather. Yeah. And there was a <laughs> some pose that's the baby po- or something. I don't know, uh, but it's very a, kind of an explicit uh-huh. contortionist uh-huh. pose. And okay. We were, uh-huh talking about naked yoga or uh-huh. something and it just kept <laughs> snowballing as it tended to do on the morning show right. into a level that probably we shouldn't have gone. So this popped Maybe. up on the green screen? It, it's viral actually. Yeah, on the okay. green screen. Okay. It's act- and she started laughing and couldn't stop laughing. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, the audience loved it. Right. Uh, I think the management was a little bit perturbed because right. it yeah. was a little risque. Yeah. And you were off script. 
off script. Off yes. Teleprompter for I sure. never met a teleprompter. Did I ever tell you what Dan Rather told me? No. So, uh, so that was a name drop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So my buddy, Dan, so Dan Rather, you may have heard of him. Uh, I was, uh, working at the CBS affiliate in Dallas, KDFW. And, uh, it later became a Fox station. But anyway, when it was still CBS, he came into town to do the show. That's when he was anchoring with Connie Chung. You remember yes, him? Of sure. Course. So, which did not last long. I was, no, it didn't. They did not like each other. Mm. Um, so my, I had to do a story on Dan rather cause he grew up in Texas and, okay. um, anyway, so, uh, I went with him to the Fort Worth Bureau. He was going to anchor the evening news from there. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so he gets the scripts. They were faxed into him back then before yeah. computers and yeah. all they had fax, fax and fax came in and his mm-hmm. scripts, they set up the camera and all he starts reading this, the news and he's got a, a, a teleprompter and a script there. And he gets through the first block and goes to commercial break. And he says, well, what do you think, Mark? And I said, well, it looks pretty good, but you didn't hardly read anything that was on the teleprompter. You know, you didn't follow the teleprompter. I don't understand. He says, teleprompter is merely a suggestion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I like that. I kind of adopted that a little uh-huh. bit. Didn't follow them. Well, uh-huh. I will say a lot. that of... Uh, <laughs> Of all the, and I don't want to be disrespectful or speak disparagingly against any of the other television morning shows in Kansas City, but the thing that I did appreciate about what you and Lori and and then after her with Abby and, and the whole crew was that, and, and of course Don was a big part of that, bringing so much personality to the morning show. Thank you. To where it wasn't so scripted and it wasn't so cut and dry. Uh, you guys had, I mean, I will never forget when I got into radio and one of my, this would have been before Mike Kennedy is my program director, but you know, he would say, smile when you're on the air. Mm-hmm. If, if they, you, they can hear they it when you're, it. they can yeah. hear it yeah. when you're smiling. And if you're not having fun being on the air, they're not having fun listening to you. Exactly. And you guys had fun being I, on the air. That was by design. And it took a lot of work to do that because typically a television show, you know, if you're a TV anchor, you've got to act the part, look the part, sound the part. And it's hard to just be yourself. And I did, I acted the anchor part mm-hmm. in Dallas and Houston. Um, I wanted to be Joe professional. But when we moved here in 98, I decided if I'm, you know, my wife was from here. I took a, a I was in market number nine and came to market 33, mm-hmm. took a big cut and pay to come here. But I thought, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be myself. Mm-hmm. And I want to do this morning show to where it's like a radio show. Yeah. yeah. And we're sitting around, like. and I'm reading the newspaper, yeah. and I'm reading through stories like we're sitting at the breakfast table, and I'm going, well, that doesn't look right. Wait a minute. That doesn't add up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always felt like I was on the side of the viewer and that we were sitting around as a family. And if I messed up, I messed up, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I didn't, didn't. Uh, revel in in making mistakes, sure. but I I knew I wasn't perfect, and I didn't want to be perfect. And I think people appreciated that transparency, and that started by me being vulnerable. We were talking about being vulnerable and weak. By me being vulnerable and transparent, that allowed others on our team to be that way, mm-hmm. and it started to gel. And I don't think, you know, I'll ever be a part of anything like that again. It was. I think for a couple of years, it was the perfect morning show. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just honored that Fox 4 and WDAF allowed me to be a part of that. And to, 
I used to get in trouble early on, and these, these bosses are no longer there, but uh, they would say, why are you making jokes or why are you having fun? I said, because people don't want to hear about shootings when they wake up in the morning. Right. I mean, I know that's important, and these are important people, uh, and they're not just statistics. Don't get me wrong in that, but people getting up, they've got to feel inspired. It's like what I'm trying to do now in, mm-hmm. in the political realm. For yes. sure. Is that we have serious things, very serious things going in America, but if we can't take a moment to laugh and be inspired, uh, then we're not going to move forward. Right. And laugh at each other. I, yes, I always appreciated yeah. that about you guys too. <laughs> and, and laugh at is, yourself. Yeah. And that is what kind I of do made, a lot it, of that. made it, di- made <laughs> Especially it, made it, especially older I get and I look in the mirror, <laughs> <laughs> but made it feel like the, the radio, which obviously we can relate to of trying to just be yourself and be funny and you certain personalities work together. And I mean, I think that, you guys had something, the same team or most of the same team members for long stretches of time. Mm-hmm. You know, people didn't, you didn't have new people in and out every 12 months for the most part. Your main people were your main people for long stretches of time, mm-hmm. especially you. I call it the old in- underwear syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, guys will appreciate this. <laughs> <laughs> I get a good pair of underwear. I don't want to throw it away. Yeah. No. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And my yeah. wife is like, why are you wearing this old... Because you're comfortable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the same way I think people get comfortable with yep. other people. Yep. And they don't it's want true. to. Anyway, I do encourage you to watch. They have a good show I watched the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think their their team is getting that uh, chemistry and mm-hmm. camaraderie good. and good. Um, great people. So That's awesome. Thank you for allowing me to be here. I'm thrilled that you fitted in your schedule and I'm going to hold you to that one year reunion where you come back. Will it need to be right around the holidays? Is that's what, okay. So let's Mm -hmm. try to do that. And this is all I got to say in ending is just, uh, you know, I'm praying for you. Thank you. Go in there, stand up to the swamp, whether it's Republicans or Democrat, because, and I know you know this, but there are Republicans that are dirty as well. And I want to clean house. I want new blood in there. And, and all I ultimately want is just someone who is going to protect the bill of rights, the constitution. That is a big thing with me from the first amendment to the last one, protect the constitution. Last thing I'll say is that, um, I'm not alone in feeling like you do. Uh, I do believe the Constitution is the most important document that we have. Yes. I carry a copy. It's out in my car right now. My dad's Constitution. He gave it to me. Wow. Mm. And it's underlined like a little old lady would underline a King James Bible mm. and has his personal notes in it. And I carried it with me the entire campaign. I'll carry it with me when I'm sworn in mm. uh, to the floor. But the people who are coming into this freshman class are amazing. Harriet Hageman, who defeated Liz Cheney. Mm. Mm. We have four Navy SEALs. We have a Navy submarine commander. We have people who have had to sell their businesses, give up almost everything in their life to do this. And I asked them all at our freshman meetings, why are you doing this? I said, because our nation is Mm -hmm. at risk and I want to do something. And that's how I Mm. feel. Good. I think everyone needs to do something no matter where you are in life, whether it's doing a podcast, no matter if you're a teacher, the time is now to t- stand up mm-hmm. and take a stand for America and for what is right and what is true, because truth matters. Mm. That's right. That is awesome. I am so blessed. I know you feel the same. I do. That we had, what, what's the actual term, the representative elect? That's it. 
of the which uh, district? Congressional, congressional district. district. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Of the great state of Missouri. That's right. Mark ah. Alford, episode <laughs> 27 of the Papa Ron podcast. Thanks for listening. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and, and uh, TikTok, and all those social platforms. Until next time. You've been listening to the Papa Ron podcast. If you enjoyed this show, hit subscribe now and tell your friends on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and other social platforms. To participate on the show, leave a message with your comments or questions by calling or texting 816-558-6389. That's 816-558-6389. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Papa Ron Podcast. Papa Ron Podcast. Oh.